Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast. I'm Gareth Hanna and with me once again are rugby reporters Jonathan Bradley and Adam McCandry. Hello. Good weekend off then. Finally a weekend without rugby. Did we enjoy ourselves? Yeah, I still watched the games of rugby, I suppose. So, um, Johnny okay. having the bus man's holiday <laughs> yeah. on Tito. Yeah. I was just going to say that, yeah. He just loves it, just does it for the love of it now. I just turned my attention to other things. I still watched the two games over the weekend, but Gareth leaves me with the weekend shifts, so I'll do those instead. What can I do? So, proper rugby returns this weekend, obviously with Ulster's home game against the Dragons on Sunday. Um, first then, of course, with the, the Six Nations uh, is back on Ireland. Welcome Italy to Dublin on Saturday afternoon. So, we, we'll deal with that one first, um, given that we've just got the Ireland team news through a little while ago. Uh, the big talking point from that, Jonathan, was, of course, Jacob Stockdale. Well, the big talking point from our point of view, was Jacob Stockdale getting a start at 15. He's obviously, he's done that plenty for Ulster, five of the seven games since they returned from lockdown. But now that it's happened for Ireland, were you surprised at that or was that what you were expecting? No, that's what I was expecting. Like, I don't think he would have, I don't think we would have seen him play there for Ulster as much as we have done since lockdown if it wasn't something that they were looking at. Um, Andy Farrell's obviously spoken today about how he feels anyway that Stockdale's skill set is well suited to it. Mentioning that kicking game that we've spoken about, mentioning just the ability to come into the line at pace like we saw against the Ospreys last time out for Jacob. So I think, you know, he could have went with Keenan at fullback and kept Stockdale on the wing because um, Keenan's played there for Leinster the last two games, could have had Shane Daly in there. But really, I think from the moment that Jordan Larmer went off injured there for Leinster, it really looked like this was going to be the selection that Farrell was going to go with, I thought. When do we start calling Stockdale a, a fullback that can also play wing? Are we, are we getting towards that stage? Kind of a bit close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they've sort of spoken about, I think, certainly Stockdale did this week anyway, about the idea of wingers and fullbacks becoming known as back three players more so mm-hmm. than one particular position anyway. That was what he was saying whenever he was up at Carden House on uh, Monday. Just that idea that, you know, I suppose his predecessor in the Ireland jersey if you like Rob Carney was a fullback increasingly you don't have that anymore like even if you look at somebody like you know Liam Williams like Liam Williams switches between the two I guess like I know Lee Halfpenny has played in the wing but Lee Halfpenny is maybe one that you still think of as a fullback rather than a back three but you know looking across the world they are more becoming more uncommon if you like because Mm -hmm. you know even the likes of say the All Blacks, where it's not whether they're fullbacks or wingers, it's whether the fullbacks are tens. Like I guess players are just becoming more, or sorry, becoming less specialised and more versatile. Yeah. Well, I've noticed that I've noticed that on Southern Hemisphere squads they don't list them as wingers or fullbacks anymore. They specifically list them as outside backs. So there's a kind of indication of how the game's going, and that you yeah. need that versatility of being able to play in. 11, 14 or 15 and in most cases they like you to play in the centre as well if possible Yeah, You may have heard my dog Heskey there trying to have his say on Jacob Stockdale's position um, he also had a little speck in last week's podcast that keen listeners may have heard so just in case they're wondering what it is that it's it's just him and we're working from home so it is what it is uh, but we'll let Ireland coach Andy Farrell have his say now here's what, what he said when he was asked about Jacob's position in today's team announcement 
we've obviously had quite a few sessions under our belt now, so we've looked at different combinations. Um, we've been very impressed with Jacob. I think he's learning the trade pretty quickly there in, in, in the backfield. Um, he's learning how to uh, uh, adapt and get himself uh, get himself stronger in that position. Uh, we think he's got all the attributes to, to push forward in that position. And uh, of course, there's going to be elements of his game that we we, we need to keep pushing forward. But um, yeah, we we see you know what you don't see on, on the wing from time to time is his skill level. You know he's. He's, uh, he's got a great vision, he's able to see things and uh, he's got good hands as well. He hits a brilliant line and not always do you get to do that from, from, from the wing. So hopefully we can get him involved as, as much as we possibly can. And also he's uh, obviously a, a great option though with a left boot to the back. So Adam, you hear Andy Farrell talking there about the benefits of having Jacob at fullback and what extra they can get out of him. Do you think there is... Like, do you think Jacob Stockdale's a better player at fullback? Do you think he can get more out of his game there than can at wing? I do like what they've been able to do with Jacob at fullback in that they've been able to get him on the ball more. And we, we spoke about it last week, how Ulster, over the past few weeks, have really liked how much he's getting into the game, how many touches they're giving him, because he is a very dynamic ball carrier. And whenever you can get him running at pace... He can pick out a gap. He can really make an impact at the line. And I think there is quite a bit of familiarity there in that if you go back to the 2016 Junior World Championship, whenever Stockdale and Keenan were playing, it was Stockdale fullback and Keenan on the wing. So even though they've sort of shifted or they've switched positions since they've come into the pro ranks, there is that bit of familiarity of the two playing together in those two positions. So I think that's something that Farrell probably wanted to do with them as well and probably looked at and whenever he was coming to, to an idea with what his team was going to be. So I think there is just that, that case of Jacob hasn't been quite so secure on the wing with his defence recently, but at fullback he's definitely shown a lot more aptitude. He's shown a lot more uh, growing in his defensive awareness and his defensive ability uh, over the past few weeks. And then, as I said, just being able to get him on the ball as much as possible, feeling those deep kicks um, and being able to run at pace, that's a, that's a really good weapon for Ulster to have. And certainly, besides Jordan Armour, whenever he got injured, I think Jacob was probably the guy you wanted on the ball most in that back line, if he wasn't already the guy they wanted on the ball most. Uh, so moving him to fullback, where you'll get him as many touches as possible, was probably the thing that Andy Farrell was looking at most and yeah. uh, he'll definitely get that from Jacob at fullback. Yeah. So Jacob is one of just two Ulster players then in the squad for this weekend's game. The other, of course, Rob Herring, who holds his place at Hooker. Johnny, it's great to see, isn't it, after waiting so long to get any games for province or inter at inter international level that uh, Rob's finally getting that run? Yeah, I think it would have been tough on him to sort of lose his place over... Over lockdown, having got the three uh, the three starts at the very beginning of the championship, mm -hmm. and then having to wait an awful long time for number four. Um, so I think yeah, this will be his twelfth cap, I think. So um, it's actually going to be Dave Heffernan as the backup. Um, Ronan Keller didn't train this week, so another sort of change in the Ireland setup there. Um, this week to go along with um, Finley Beelham coming back in and. Ed Byrne, so it's basically all changed in that backup front row. Um, but now we all will be uh, well enough familiar with um, 
with Andrew Porter and Kane Healy. So been interesting, uh, interesting one for them. Obviously, we're expecting um, both teams to be going for points, Ireland, because they need to get the bonus point in Italy because they're that's the brand of rugby, I guess. They're trying to play now under under Franco Smith. So the set piece, especially the line out, could really um, could really come into play of just setting a platform for the teams to launch that uh, enterprising attacking game that we expect from them. Mm. Adam Rory obviously made that position so much his own uh, that well, I was going to say it wasn't even a debate, but I suppose it wasn't even a debate uh, in Ulster. Um, maybe in Dublin that was different. But how close is Rob Herring to becoming like really nailing down that spot and saying, you know, I am Ireland's number one hooker for the next two or three years and, and that's it? I think what Rory didn't have that Rob does have is that he has genuine competition on a week-to-week basis in Ronan Kelleher and Dave Heffernan to a certain degree as well. Kelleher has really come onto the scene with Dub- or with uh, Leinster sorry, um, and is putting in some fantastic performances. And It's a shame that he got injured because seeing Kelleher and Herring go head-to-head for that hooker jersey would be absolutely fascinating um, because I really do think having that competition really brings out the best in players. Um, I don't think Rob will ever make the Ireland jer- number two jersey his own, mm. but I don't mean that in a he's not good enough to make the Ireland jersey his own. It's that the competition is too fierce that mm. I don't think you'll ever be able to say, you know, Rob is Ireland's number two. Or is our, Rob is the starting Ireland hooker for sure, and you know he he is in my opinion one of the most underrated players in Ireland. I think Rob Herring does a lot of great things at hooker for Ulster. He's a great tackler, and um, he's actually a really big breakdown threat that I don't think a lot of people realise. Um, and I mean the the fact that Andy Farrell has trusted him coming in, it would have been so easy to go with Keller as the young guy coming through uh, and saying. Let's look at the future. But he's trusted Rob because he's seen what he's capable of with Ulster. And so going forward, it's Rob's shirt to lose. Mm. But I don't think he'll ever make it his jersey simply because the competition behind him is so strong. He may he may make 20 consecutive starts in the jersey, but I don't think we'll ever be able to say that he is nailed down in that jersey. Mm-hmm. Okay. You talk there about competition for places and probably nowhere is that more fierce than at centre. Johnny Stuart McCluskey doesn't even get a place in this squad this week. Andy Farrell spoke about that in his, his press conference as well, just talking about what a difficult decision he has there. Um and that he all five of them always seem to be fit and um you know they're just sort of waiting their uh waiting their chance but he does value and rate all five of them. Is Stuart gonna get that chance anytime soon? Well, you'd like to think that he'd get a chance in the Auto Nations Cup at least. You know, they've got that game against Georgia, which I suppose is the type of fixture that traditionally he's came in. Like Gary Wingmoves is Leicester's Player of the Year and Ireland's Player of the Year for last season, and Bundy Aggie's probably been the form, or what certainly one of the form players in Ireland since lockdown. And McCluskey hasn't played in a month because of that injury that he got against Toulouse. So. Mm-hmm. There's certainly times when I think you can press the case that McCluskey should be getting more caps, but if like it wouldn't be this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. So, Johnny, one bit of news that did come out last week 
after the podcast was the news of Ian Henderson's three-week suspension. I think I remember you saying last week that you thought that would be sort of particularly harsh on this occasion, but it is what it, it, it turned out to be. What are, what are the thoughts on it? Yeah, like, I think as we said last week, like I don't think it was a particularly malicious or vicious um, setting off to miss two Six Nations games plus presumably the Ulster game against Glasgow is um, mm-hmm. significant enough punishment for it, but I suppose that's the letter of the laws whenever you do uh, whenever you do get tackles wrong and end up going high. Mm. Yeah, that's what it is. So with the four was it four debutants, um potential debutants in the squad, two starting two on the bench, so a, a much changed team, but they're going to have too much for Italy, we assume, because everybody always does. Um, can anybody remember what the exact lay of the land is in, in this Six Nations? It's that long ago. What, uh, Aaron still have a, a chance of winning this? Two bonus point wins and they won it. So needs to be four tries this week against Italy and then four tries in Paris against France, um, which is going to be a tall order, obviously, <laughs> going away to France and putting up four tries and a win, as, as opposed if there's any team, if you're you're going away to uh, outside of Italy in the Six Nations to score four tries, it's maybe France who are a bit more loose and less regimented. But um, I, I know they've got a lot more uh, a lot more regimented since Sean Edwards went to them and mm-hmm. has really shored them up and sort of reiterated how important it is to defend when you don't have the ball. Uh, but I think whenever you've got that that goal and it's very black and white what you need to do and there is certainly a chance that you can go out and do it because it's, it's not a case of you maybe need four tries it is a case of you do need four tries mm-hmm. so whenever you have that goal in mind it's crystal clear then sometimes that can really clarify the situation can really drive you on so it all depends how quickly the team clicks you mm-hmm. know Ireland could come back like uh, like Exeter have and play really well and win both games with bonus points and win the Six Nations. Or they could come back like Ulster did after lockdown and lose both games. So it, it all depends how quickly they gel, how quickly they come together. They should beat Italy this week fairly comfortably. Uh, and if they can do that, that gives them a bit of confidence going into next week. But we'll, uh, we'll see how this week mm. goes first. I think that's the most important thing. Get this win out of the way and then move to move to Paris and see what you need there. Yeah, I suppose it would be nice to make it at least exciting going into that final game. But it is sort of hard to get too excited about it. It just doesn't feel like the Six Nations. It's all a bit all a bit strange. What do you think, Johnny? Are you buzzing? You look buzzing. I think it's what we should just have every year. Just like create random numbers of games and random tournament tables going <laughs> in. And just be like, right, Ireland, you need 10 points and you get two games to get them. England, you need five you've only got one game and it's away to Italy and just like just go from there add a bit of spice to things uh, yeah that's fair enough that's, uh, you should take out the world rugby um, so well look we'll see fingers crossed as we say they can make it exciting going into the final game but um, we'll see come Saturday afternoon 3.30 kick off that one is so a day later then Ulster yes, host 3pm 3, 3 3pm 3 is it in case anyone like Apologies, so misses the first half hour. Kickoff times from us and misses the first half hour. <laughs> I think, Otherwise, um, it wouldn't occur to you, it would just let you go. Anybody yeah, that listens to us should know not to take anything we say for, for granted. Apologies. Three o'clock on uh, Saturday then. So, Ulster play Dragons a day later at three o'clock on Sunday. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, 
Good. So, um, first of all, let's deal with one of our listener questions. So, Mark Hunter asks, do we have any update on the limited crowd participation on Sunday with Ulster against Dragons? Now, as you will all probably already know by the time you're listening to this, Ulster have just this evening on Wednesday announced that they will play their next two home fixtures without supporters. So, of course, there were 600 fans that had returned to Kingspan Stadium for the first time since uh, the coronavirus pandemic struck. And that was for the game against Benetton uh, as sort of a a pilot. Now, the fact that that Ulster don't have any fans this weekend, we don't think says anything about the success or otherwise of that pilot. Now, it's more to do with the new restrictions that have been brought in by the Stormont Executive um, which were brought in on Friday evening at 6 o'clock. There was some confusion at the weekend regarding the Irish League fixtures. First of all, Korean football club's match against Balamina on Friday evening. Now, I think there were some supporters already in the ground. This was all just about an hour before kickoff that the Korean uh, sort of officials were notified that there was a necessity to stop spectators from attending sporting events. Now that came in from the Communities Minister, Carl Nicoulin. But soon after, on Twitter, Arlene Foster, uh, the First Minister, said that supporters were actually permitted. So this started a whole to and fro, and then eventually on Saturday morning, the Irish FA came out and said supporters are permitted. So there were supporters at, at all six Danske Bank Premiership matches at the weekend. Now, the Communities Minister still isn't happy with this and hosted a meeting with sporting representatives on Monday to try. While the strict reading of these new um, restrictions still allows supporters to attend elite sporting events outdoors in a, a socially distant manner, the Communities Minister had appealed to sporting bodies to hold their matches behind closed doors anyway. So Ulster Rugby are going to do that uh, in a move that they say is in line with the views of the medical Chief Medical Officer and Chief Scientific Advisor in Northern Ireland. So, yeah, look, that's what we know at this stage. There will be no Ulster supporters at this game at home to Dragons on Sunday or at the game at home to Glasgow on the 9th of November, but it will be reviewed prior to the Scarlet's game on Sunday the 22nd of November. And that's the case because these next two fixtures fall within the four-week period for which these restrictions have been brought in. So, look, hopefully that uh, clears things up a little bit um, and uh, we'll know more as, as the weeks progress. It will be interesting to see what the Irish League football does this weekend. I uh, don't think we know for certain, but we certainly haven't had anything to indicate that there will be any change of stance. So we are at this stage expecting there to be Irish League uh, fans at, at those games this weekend. So, So there we go. What are we expecting from the Ulster team? First of all, just to the bridge over from Ireland. Any chance Stuart McCluskey's getting released? From what I've understood of the, what they're doing with the bubble, then it's basically a two-week bubble and then a break for you know to be able to see people's families and stuff. So I would imagine that there's not going to be anybody released from camp this week for this week's round of fixtures okay. or possibly even indeed next week's round of fixtures but then you would see people theoretically who weren't involved playing in that next game which is like the Glasgow game 
It's away to Blues on November the second, and then home to Glasgow on the ninth of November. So yeah, that's the that's on the Monday night, but is effectively the game of that Ireland's free weekend. But then Ireland play Wales on the the Friday. So like it's a it's a it's a quick turnaround from the Ulster game to then going into Ireland's next fixture. Yet another reason to hate Monday night kickoffs. Just adds another level of intrigue that you don't need. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So what do we expect from Ulster's team? I, I would say you'll probably see a little bit of experimentation here. Maybe a, maybe another young guy added onto the bench or something like that. Ulster have certainly put themselves in a position already where they can mix and match a bit and just see what they've got. There are a few places where they're still going to have to play some young guys. I'd say you're probably still going to see Stuart Murray and James Hume in the centre. You could see Mike Lowry coming back in at 10, even though Ian Madigan did okay against uh, the Ospreys, but you're really looking in that in that pack. You know, you're hoping that maybe Dave McCann could get another shot off the bench or something like that. Or uh, you might see Tom Stewart at hooker potentially coming onto the bench. I'm, I'm just speculating here. Um, but I, I think certainly from from an Ulster perspective, this isn't the most taxing game you'll have. Dragons are going to be missing a couple of guys. Uh, on international duty with Wales they've got a few injuries I, I know that uh, they've been struggling with the last few weeks so I think certainly at home I think you'd be expecting Ulster to get the win here and I think you know especially since we've seen Dave McCann have a have a good debut uh, against Benetton there's definitely opportunity to give a few guys a chance here and certainly I, th- I think you'd be expecting them to probably pick up a bonus point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jonathan, what are you most excited? Most excited? I keep asking you, are you excited, Jonathan? I'm just determined to, to, to get you, you up can see, You can see his face. Yeah, I'm, face abs- I'm absolutely thrilled about this Sunday afternoon game. That's, uh, <laughs> At home to Dragons. Like, nothing, is, nothing makes me think, do you know what I want to give up my day off for? <laughs> a visit from the Dragons. That's, that's incredible. Love it. Well, pick a side. Pretend you're doing. Pretend you're doing one of your your wee five things. But pregame, pick a side. So just, I'll just ask for one thing to to look out for and be excited about ahead of this game. Um. Yeah, Adam sort of mentioned it, but I think that if we do see James Hume and Stuart Murray again, I think that yeah. battle with Jimmy Roberts will be a good one. I also. Sorry to pick two on you. Um, I think oh, the no. back row will be interesting. I just didn't think I could get you excited about two things, but no, that's great. Go on ahead. <laughs> think Dragons could have Griffiths coming back in. He's a really good player. And they've got Basham, who a lot of people expected to be away with wheels, but isn't. Um, so that could be a really interesting battle. I think if, say, Ulster go with Marcus Ray again at seven, that could be another intriguing head-to-head for him after uh, Tipperick in the Liberty Stadium against the Ospreys there two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, deal with your first point there, because it's going to be a big test for the two centres. Like we talk about the promise of those two, 21 and teams 22. They're still young. They've got so much promise, but they're up against uh, a lion here. The enemy's 34. You're not getting any younger, but still. Um, how do we think they'll cope against probably the biggest test they've faced so far? Well, if you want evidence of how the young players are coping against Lions elect, look at Marcus Ray against Justin Tipperick. Whenever they played the Ospreys, kept him so quiet and just picked out the 
the moments where he could really negate his ability at the breakdown and did it superbly. And there's no reason to think why Stuart Murray and James Hume can't keep Jimmy Roberts quiet as well. You know, he, as much as we can build him up for, you know, being this great centre, and, and he is, he, he's not at that level anymore. He, he's not a Lions test centre anymore. And he's, he's not even international standard with mm-hmm. Wales anymore. So he's he's still available for the Dragons this week for a reason. Mm-hmm. Now he is going to be a big threat for them, don't get me wrong. But Murr and Hume, in the first game against Benetton, there were a few moments in defence where you really thought to yourself, okay, I can see that they're young. I can see that they have a long way to go in terms of their development. Probably Murr a bit more than Hume because Hume's got that more experience at the pro level. Yeah. Against the Ospreys, they were better. They were so much better. Osprey's uh, centres just got no traction whatsoever. And I think this week they can take it to the next level. They've got a really big centre in Jamie Roberts. You know, They haven't faced a guy who's primary threat is ball carrying so far against Benetton their two guys were uh, very fleet footed they pride themselves on a fast game uh, the Ospreys never really got going in the centres but similarly they, they weren't sort of big ball carriers they were sort of fast guys Jamie Roberts is the first guy they're going to face who's you know a ball carrier he's going to challenge them physically rather than uh, trying to get around them so this is another chance for them to show that their defence has different layers to it. And working with Jared Payne, I'm sure Jared will have them perfectly uh, drilled as to how Roberts is going to act, given mm-hmm. that uh, Jared will know him from playing with him, uh, playing against him for Ireland, playing with him uh, for the Lions. So there is a little bit of familiarity there. But I'm just, I, I really do think Hume has really matured into a really good 13 uh, in terms of calling it defensively over the last couple of weeks. That was the big thing. You know, whenever you have two young centres, it's how are they going to manage the defence because 13 is such a big defensive position, but he's done really well so far. If they can pass this test this week, then I think there's a, there's a really good partnership building there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's something that the Ulster attack coach, Dwayne Peel, discussed uh, in this week's press conference. So here's just a little bit of what he had to say about Murr and Hume. You know, James, he's sort of someone who's been bubbling away and I think that last year he had that nasty knee injury, you know, which which basically wrecked his season, really, you know, which is which is tough for him. But I think he's been in good form this year. You know, it's good for him to have those games as well, those big high-profile games, you know, and I think he, he's flourishing in that in that role. I think he was really enjoying it and he's really, his um, the application is really good. You know, I think he, he trains hard, he wants to get better. And then along with Stu, Stu Moore, I think that he's been great the last couple of weeks. I think, you know, he's a very different style to all of our other, other centres and I'm sure you could see that. I think he's, a, you know, he's a genuine footballer. He, he sees space and he plays. You know, he play, He plays the ball that way, really. So it's it's a great compliment to both of them. You know, and and I'm pleased for them. I think they they both they both bought their time and they they're um, they're learning all the time. Obviously, you know, with with, with Stu and Lukey, probably Stu Stu McCloskey and Lukey probably had the spoilers of the, of the selection over the last while. I think that these boys have been working hard in the background and uh, they get a chance now, which is good. Even even for people like Stu McCloskey and and Lukey as well, for these boys to be pushing them really hard and. For us to be able to, to have that depth is fantastic, really. So, John, your second point then was regarding the back row and Marcus Ray, who uh, you can explain why you're hope well, you better start or else Ulster will face your wrath. Um, uh, what else do we reckon is going to happen with with that back row then this weekend? 
it's interesting because obviously a whole theme of this time of year normally is what's going to happen with teams adjusting to who they're missing from the international squads. But Ulster are only really missing players in specialised positions from their forwards. So the loose forwards aren't depleted in, in any way. So you've still got Marcus Ray and Dave McCartney have come in this season. Yeah. We still haven't seen Nick Timoney. We still haven't seen Jordy Murphy. And then you've got the sort of more senior players of Matty Ray, Marcel, Sean Reedy. So you sort of added two options from the start of this season without taking away any options. Yeah. And we've, sorry, we've seen Greg Jones play as well. Um, so it's really hard to predict, I think, what you're going to see there. Marcus Ray did media and is designated for Saturday's newspaper. So if he doesn't play, that's why I'll be very upset. <laughs> but like, I think you could probably make the case for giving Matty Ray or Marcel a week off because they have played a lot. I know they didn't play last week, obviously, mm-hmm. but like that was the last week off for a long time. So you are going to have to find time during this run of games to spell some guys. Obviously, like Dragons aren't going to have Ross Moriarty, but the back row is generally a decent enough um, area for them. Like, for some reason, I've caught both their games this season so far. And, like, they can't really scrum and they're really struggling at the line-out, but their back row is fairly decent. Like, so that's, I suppose you could say, as always, it's going to be a huge part of the game. There's no such thing as too much sport. The anticipation, the expectation, the pounding of feet, the pounding of hearts. Shoot, miss, score, win, lose, draw. We can't be shoulder to shoulder, but we are still standing up for the Ulster men. We can't be in the stands, but until we can, there's the Belfast Telegraph. For all the latest sports news, subscribe today at belfasttelegraph.co.uk or call 0800 028 1909 to find out about our home delivery service. The Belfast Telegraph. Tell it like it is. So while we're on that back row, Adam, what's what's going on with Jordy Murphy? Where is he? Why, like he's had such a, as I was saying to Johnny yesterday, we were talking earlier in the week, it's just been such a weird 12 months for Jordy Murphy when you think back to uh, going out to the World Cup, playing very quickly, and then coming home. He was left out of that stock ticket, Ireland stock ticket Christmas, and since then it's just been a, a strange, strange 12 months for him. Yeah, it's, it's really strange, and... I think whenever you look at Jordy, we, we've talked about it before, how he is, you know, this jack-of-all-trades in the back row. He can play six, seven, or eight uh, equally well. But he, he didn't come back after lockdown well. He he wasn't playing that great. Um, he lost his spot in the team for, uh, for the big games. And I think there there is a case of you want to see some of these young guys you know, I, I've been saying for a long time that Ulster have been crying out for a genuine open side flanker, and that's what I think they have in Marcus Ray, and I think that's what they wanted to see from him, and he provided that against the Ospreys. Mm. And I think coming up against someone like Tian Basham, you need to counteract him with someone like Marcus Ray. So I think that's why you're going to see him again this week. Jordy, for me, sort of falls in the cracks. So you've mm. got Marcel, who's your big ball carrier. You've got Marcus Ray, who is your genuine open side, uh, and then you've got Matty Ray, who's doing very well as uh, at blind side. For me, Jordy falls in between all those positions. He can do 
everything well, but he's not sort of a specialist in one of them. And one of the things that I think Dan is looking at is, you know, what can one person offer that someone else can't? We've heard it from a couple of guys over the last few weeks. Craig Gilroy, uh, Marcus Ray was chatting about it. Uh, Kieran Treadwell was talking about it as well this week. You know, talking about what can I offer that other guys can't. And for me, Jordy offers everything, but there are other guys who offer the things that he offers in, in greater amounts. And it's, it's a really tough situation because Jordy is a guy that every coach loves to have because you can, you can put him in any position and you know he'll do a job for you. But in this case, you know, Ulster looking to take their squad depth to the next level and they're looking for guys who will do specific jobs very well so that they can mix and match their back row based on whoever they're going to be facing that weekend or they can mix and match their back row based on who else they have in the other positions um, and, and for me I think that's where Dan McFarlane's trying to look now if you look at how he's selecting his teams both both in the pack and and in the backs as well and for me Jordy's just he's falling in the cracks at the moment mm-hmm. and it's tough because you know it, it must be so hard for him going from playing in that World Cup to you know where he is now, where he's seeing other guys get opportunities ahead of him in the back row. But hopefully that's something that will drive him on. You know, we've talked about or we've heard, we've heard from guys within the squad about how, you know, when guys aren't selected for a team, well they're the ones who are driving the standards and training for the rest of the week. You know, they're really trying to get the guys ready to go for the weekend. Hopefully Jordy's one of those guys who takes not playing at the weekend as a real slight and he really uses it to drive his game up in training and I'm sure we'll see him back in the squad soon yeah. you know he's he's not been cast out or anything like that he, mm. he'll be biding his time because that back row is competitive mm. but right now I think he, he's probably just been quite unfortunate in that they're probably looking for guys who do specific things very well and he's just kind of falling in between those yeah well, the selection issues aren't going to get any easier anytime soon because we now know since last week's podcast that Marcel could see it is going nowhere in terms of international duty over the, the coming weeks and months, Johnny. It's uh, hard not to feel a, a bit sorry for him, isn't it? Yeah, I think like he's lost a fair amount of caps through things that are beyond his control over the last, I suppose, five years, really. Uh, I think he was in form and certainly deserving of a call-up. I can completely understand why um, South Africa made the decision that they did because they just weren't going to have played enough rugby to be playing against, you know, the All Blacks and Wallabies whose players came back even before the Pro 14 did. Like, they were playing in, like, June, weren't they? Um, yeah, it was right. June. All these months have sort of blended into one. Like, <laughs> yeah. just... But, uh, yeah, they were, they were playing early in lockdown. Lockdown number one. <laughs> so, it would not, I don't think, have been particularly safe for them to be going off the back of three or four games in their domestic competition and playing a rake of tests in a bubble in Australia. I, I just wonder if Ulster may be a little bit disappointed that Marcel isn't going away for for two reasons. One, obviously they want him to get called up. You know, they want him to get rewarded for his form, as do we all. But secondly, I wonder if Dan McFarland was maybe looking at this and going, well, okay, Marcel's going away. We can start to... You know, maybe Dave McCann gets a start. We can bring Jordy back into the back row. Um, we can uh, we can give a few more guys a chance without having to, you know, say, well, we're we're going to have to rest Marcel here. We're going to have to, you know, they, they kind of have the the decision or the 
the question of when to rest Marcel taken away from them because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been there in the first place. I, ju- I just find it interesting that, you know, Dan, Dan was so eager for him to go away with South Africa, but I wonder if it was too, the reason was twofold for that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll ever have a coach think that they've got too many options in the back row. I'm not, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not saying it's a case of they have too many options in the back row, but whenever you're looking at when to give guys chances, because for, for me, this season for Ulster is about creating that squad depth. And we've, we've looked at the guys that Ulster have. If you take away a guy because he's playing so well for you, it gives another guy an opportunity. And I just wonder if Ulster would have liked to have that, that chance of putting in a young guy without having the, the question of when do I rest Marcel? You know, when do I put this guy in? And they kind of have it imposed on them. I'm just, I'm just wondering. We, of course, have to discuss what happened. Uh, one of the games that did happen at the weekend, the, the Champions Cup final, which Exeter obviously won, and that was great news for Gareth Steenson and Ian Whitten. And noticed a little tweet that one of them put out afterwards in the changing room with the trophy, just saying they were going to party like it was 1999. Very good, very clever, guys. So what a rise for for these two. And um, wasn't it just uh, great to see two Ulster guys sitting there celebrating with the, the Champions Cup? Adam, why are they not Ulster players? <laughs> the million-dollar question. Look, <laughs> I think whatever you go, Val, I'll, I'll take them individually. Steenson came through the system whenever David Humphreys was there. And back then, this was back before I was sort of really invested in, in the team. Um, but from what I gather back then, uh, he was just too far down the packing order. You had Humphreys, uh, Ireland International, as your starting fly half, and there just wasn't room for him in the squad. So they said, you know, that we don't have room for you, and he went and signed the championship. Worked his way to Exeter and got uh, was with them whenever they got promoted and worked his way into the team there and uh, ended up becoming their all-time leading point scorer. So uh, not too shabby from him. And then Witten was... Witten was the same. Witten was unlucky. Look, Ulster, for a while, have been blessed with a... With a lot of good backs and whenever Witten came through there was a point wherever he when he was playing well I think he he did have an injury Johnny you, you probably remember this better than I do but I think Witten got injured and just whenever you get injured someone takes your place and if they play well they keep it and they stay in the team and you feel a bit left out and he just thought he wasn't getting enough game time so he decided to head elsewhere and it just so happened that Exeter was where he ended up and He's thrived with them since. The thing is, Ulster would love to keep guys like that. You know, Ulster would have loved to have kept Ian Witten back then. But sometimes players just want to go because they want to play rugby. And you can't hold that against them. You know, if, if a player wants to be playing week in, week out, and you can't offer that to him, you can't sit there and offer him false promises. You know, you, you can't sit there and say, we will play every week and then put him on the bench for the first five games of the next season. So Witten made a decision that he felt was in the best interest of his rugby. Ulster made a decision that they felt was in the best interests of them going forward. And it's worked out for him. Ulster would have loved to have kept him, but they couldn't. And look, if you can't keep them, you wish them the best of luck wherever they go. And it's fantastic that they both ended up on the winning side uh, on Saturday night. Cracking final. I loved every second of it. It was a great game between two teams that just wanted to play rugby, that just 
wanted to, you know, really go for it and uh, really wanted to play some really attractive uh, forward play. And, you know, the fact that Steenson and Winton were on the winning side is fantastic. And mm-hmm. all we can say to them is congratulations. They fully deserve it. And what, what a fantastic way for Steenson to go into retirement. If they could win the Premiership this weekend and do the double, that would be even mm-hmm. better. But even if they don't, what, what a way to go into retirement than by winning the Champions <laughs> Cup for the first time. Well, one of the things that Gareth Steenson had to say after the game was, was pretty interesting. I mean, we've heard lots about the argument about Ireland's selection of players who are playing outside the four provinces. Now, he has had his say on it uh, when he was speaking to the BBC. He said, this is just a little part of uh, of his quote. He said, why take the opportunity of some of away from some of uh, the, your best players uh, playing top-level rugby in a different competition. They're learning from other players in other leagues. I never had the opportunity to play for any of the provinces. Hopefully one day the RAF you might look across the water. But I can say that, Madison. Johnny, what do you think about this uh, This whole debate and um, that just has sort of fresh light on it now that an Ulster man's got involved for us? Well, it's more fresh in most people's minds because of Simon Zebo scoring twice in the final than... Um, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Seenson not getting on the pitch for the final but um <laughs> and made all the more prominent by the fact that Ireland aren't a hundred percent sure or haven't been a hundred percent sure basically since Rob Carney's uh, lost his group on the jersey who their fifteen was gonna be Simon Zebos obviously would have been an option and arguably could have started on Saturday. The thing that has sort of got lost in this with Zebo as well is the fact that he wasn't actually playing for wrestling basically until Carly Beale got suspended either. He'd been on the bench for a couple of the big games. But um nobody can see the top fourteen anymore, so he, you know, he um scores two tries on terrestrial T V and it's assumed that he must have been doing this for six months rather than um, the six last couple of games. Yeah, exactly. I genu- I genuinely don't know. I can very much see both sides of the argument. I do think it's important in keeping what you would have to say is 95% or more of the players in a, that you want to keep in Ireland in Ireland. Yeah, It has to be a factor. But there's also a part of me that just fails to see it as a certainty that we would have this sort of mid-90s style exodus because I think, especially from Saxon's experience in mm. France, I think there are players who, as much as they value the opportunity to represent Ireland. They also represent how well they're looked after here compared to how, I suppose, the absence of that, if they were to go abroad, you know, you'd be playing in, just playing much, much more rugby for starters. You'd be playing in follow weeks in the Six Nations like we saw with Sex and things like that. So I don't think everything is financially motivated. And I also don't know if you can continue to have this as a, or continue to use this as a bargaining chip in the financial climate where people are having to take pay cuts and things like that because if you're saying to somebody you've signed a contract but we're going to have to pay you less because we're making less money and somebody else is willing to pay you more money you know the money that you think you're worth and originally signed a contract to say you were worth mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fair to then say that off the back of that you can't play for Ireland mm-hmm. and again it's a very short career and Loyalty doesn't work two ways in sport. Like if somebody gets injured or somebody loses form, then they're going to be out the door. Mm. So you can't demand unquestioning loyalty to your province from players because it's not going to be reciprocated. So I suppose what I'm saying is that while I understand the benefits of it from 
in a wider sense for Ireland in terms of keeping their players here and looking after them as opposed to the short-term detriment of saying, oh, well, we probably would have picked Simon Zebo in the 23 this week and now we can't. I'm also not sure if morally it really stands up in 2020. Like, the Irish team should be the best players eligible to represent Ireland. Do you think, is there any realistic prospect of this changing? No. (laughs) So everything we discuss is just pretty pointless at the end of the day. Well, it's like it happens like every time there's a press conference. Like, yeah. You know, after a while, Andy Farrell will be asked, well, what about Zebo? <laughs> We've had it with Madigan. Um, I'm sure there have been others as well. Donica Ryan. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I don't know, like, Simon Zebo would obviously love to represent Ireland again, but there's also a richness to the life experience that he's had by going abroad. But, like, unless... James Ryan leaves to go and play in France or something and you end up with a similar level of situation that you had for um, whenever Sexton went to what was that in Racing Metro like you you know you look at Zebo. it wasn't even just that once Zebo left Ireland he wasn't picked once he said he was leaving Ireland he was bombed out of the squad like I think he said it in January and then you know he wasn't picked for the next six nations so if you're considered in any way expendable which is probably everybody apart from Ryan Furlong maybe uh, but I can't see anybody else that would prompt a rethink because it is yeah as I say it is beneficial for the RFU to have all the players here so mm-hmm. if they think there's even a slight chance the more players would leave and it would be of detriment to Irish rugby as a whole not just the Ireland men's scene mm-hmm. then they're not going to do it they're, you know they're mm-hmm. not going to change their minds yeah yeah fair enough a couple of our listener questions then um both surrounding the IRFU 7s competition, uh, one round of which has been played, a couple still to come. We'll just lump these in t- together for you, Adam. So Donal asks, what value, if any, will the competition have for the Irish 7s team and or those guys who represented the Ulster team? And then John Cameron asks, Leinster are famed for using a large number of players during the season, but they didn't have the numbers to provide a team for the sevens. Do you think this is true, or did they just not see any value in the tournament? So, Adam, what, what was the value of it? Um, well, the value is you get guys game time. You know, a lot of these academy guys, they can't go and play club rugby. They can't, or they're not playing for the senior teams. Um, there have been a few A friendlies here and there, but nowhere near enough to justify, you know, saying guys are match fit. So you're giving these guys a bit of game time to go down, play a bit of sevens. Um, I'm sure it's not taken in the most competitive of spirits, but you know, so there, there's a bit of a, a fun aspect to it. You're down playing rugby. Uh, you're you're just down playing rugby again, um, but it is also in a sort of semi-competitive environment so there is definitely a benefit to it and one of the things about sevens is you can't hide so you're still learning whenever you're playing you whenever you're out there because you don't have 14 guys alongside you you've only got six you can't sort of shy away you've got to make your tackles you've got to be involved in the play um, so you're definitely learning tackle technique, you're learning one-on-one defending, you're learning how to get around guys. So there, there's definitely a learning aspect to it, as well as making sure that they're still match fit in case they get called upon for for their province. So I definitely think there was a benefit to it. And, 
you know, you, you see the guys who were named in it. You have Marcus Ray going down to it. You had Aaron Sexton playing. Uh, David Shannon was playing. So, you know, these are guys that you would think Ulster would probably be looking at. So certainly we know that Ray and Shannon have already been playing. Uh, Sexton, you'd think they'd be looking at maybe giving a shot at some point. Um, Azar Allison's another guy, Lewis Finley, scrum half. There are guys there who Ulster will want to be ready to go if and when they need them. Uh, so there's definitely a benefit to having us, and I'm sure it was a, a really good experience for them. As for the Leinster question, um, I, I, I definitely think that Leinster are hit hard by call-ups. You know, mm-hmm. it was 17 guys in the Ireland mm-hmm. squad. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of guys who suddenly have gone and you need to fill them in training. You know, but whenever guys go away to Ireland, you don't just keep playing on with the guys who are left behind. You need to fill those 17 spots in training during the week. Maybe not all of them, but you need to fill most of them so that you still have guys training, you have, you're giving guys experience. So I'd say they've called up a good chunk of their academy squad and therefore they probably don't have too many bodies left to send to the sevens yeah. competition. So, you know, given, given how much we've heard a lot of people talking about how beneficial sevens can be for 15's development, I would say it's likely, yeah, Leicester couldn't field the team rather mm. than uh, they didn't want to. And the, the thing is, you know, if you can field the team, why not? You're giving guys an opportunity to go and press. You're giving them a chance to keep match fit. Uh, I, I would be, I would be surprised if they if they chose not to field the team because they're down for the next two rounds. You know, they they've committed to playing in the next two rounds if they of the sevens if they can field the team. Mm. So if they didn't want to play, they would just yeah. say no. We don't want to be involved. Yeah. So I, I would say yeah, it's, it's genuinely they don't want or they okay. couldn't field the team. Well, that's pretty much us for this week. So we will be back uh, next week to look back on Ulster's game against the Dragons and Ireland's game against Italy. Um, until then, from Jonathan Bradley. Cheers, thank you. From Anna McKendry. Cheers, guys. Myself, Gareth Hanna, my dog Heskey, and his annoying squeaky toy. Thanks for listening.